You are listening to the Life Church Podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our life crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Micah Beckwith. Good morning, Life Church. How's everyone doing? It's good to see you. My name is Pastor Micah. I'm the Noblesville Campus Pastor. Thank you for joining us today. If you're new here, we just want to say welcome. Like, we are so happy that you are in the house of the Lord with us as we just celebrate who he is and his, his amazing just presence that hopefully will just, uh, just uh, set you free from anything that you've been struggling with. And God is the God of freedom, and we understand that here at Life Church more now than we probably ever have. And so we go through scriptures verse by verse, and we tell you what the Bible says about things. It really doesn't matter what I think about things. It matters what God thinks about things. And today we are, we are picking up with our, uh, our, our 2 Samuel 13. We're in the book of 2 Samuel. We're talking about the life of David. We have seen that he has gone on this uh, massive uh, journey where he's had many triumphs because he's honored the Lord. Now he's starting to come into a place of uh, troubles because he has dishonored the Lord with, with, an, with a terrible sin that he committed where he took another man's wife killed the man, and, and now the Lord is bringing judgment upon his house. Which brings us to this passage in chapter 13, and today we're going to be looking at the legacy that, that he leaves, the legacy of his house, and then also uh, the legacy of many others throughout Scripture. And there's a, there's a saying that talks about, are you, a, are you an oak or a tumbleweed? I've heard it said that, that, that one, gener- one generation plants the trees and the next enjoys the shade. And we've seen that here in the United States. We've seen an amazing uh, uh, beacon of freedom, a a nation that we have been blessed with. But it wasn't us who planted the the seeds and the trees. It was those who have gone before us. And now we get to enjoy the the shade. I've also heard it said by uh, Galen Anderson, he said this. He said, some people are tumbleweeds and other people are oak trees. Now, earlier this morning when I was backstage with Lindsay, uh, she said, why did you highlight weeds? Like, is this like the weed weed kind of weed? Or I was like, no, Lindsay, this is the weed weed kind of weed, not the weed, the weed. All right. So just so we get this out of the way. Okay. This is what I did with me like, man, that pastor had that life church, man. It's disease. Psalm, Psalm 1 says this, talking about trees. It says this, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate on it day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but they are like the chaff or the tumbleweed which the wind driveth away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Now, this was one of the first verses of Scripture that I ever learned as a kid. I went to a Christian school, and I, we, were, we, were, we had to memorize God's Word. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, it's so important to hide the Word of the Lord on your heart. And we are going to, uh, we're going to tell you about something here in just a second with Pastor Marilyn, the initiative that we're taking with our, our next generation and how we want to teach them how to hide the word of God on their heart. But I want to ask you this as adults and people in this room right now, how many Bible verses could you recite from memory right now? I'm, okay, you don't, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. I'm like, not trying to embarrass anybody. Be like, oh my gosh, sinner, sinner. No. <laughs> heathen over there. All right. No, uh, no, but I, I, I actually had to deal with this a few years ago and I was like, gosh, I don't know as many Bible verses maybe as I, I should. And I took it to my youth ministry, to my students. And I said, guys, how many verses could you recite from memory right now? Okay. And then you got the smart aleck that will be like, well, Jesus wept. I got that one. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and so and then John three sixteen, for God to love the world, that he gave his only begotten son. So there's that one too, okay? So those two don't count, all right? I'm just gonna tell you that right now. You cannot add that to your list of Bible verses, okay? How many Bible verses do you, no, they do count, but I, just joking. But we should know more than just the basics, right? Um, and, and so we are, we are doing something with the, with the next gen, and I'm gonna invite Pastor Marilyn out. She's going to talk a little bit about this, and then I'm gonna encourage you all to take part in this initiative as well. So Pastor Marilyn, give it up for Pastor Marilyn as she comes. 
Good morning, good morning. So as Pastor Micah was saying, we are starting something uh, both in our kids' church and with our youth group, and it's the 2023 Bible Reading Challenge. So what we're doing is um, each of our kiddos today um, in kids' church, they're going to be coming home with a card, and on that card has every book for the book of Genesis. What we are asking is that we're trying to get them to read the entire Bible within a year. So we're starting in Genesis, moving on to John, and then the rest of it can be however they feel they want to do it. Um, when they are reading, though, we are asking them to pick a verse that calls out to them in whatever it is they're reading. So if it's Genesis 1-1, Genesis 1-2, wherever it is, and they're to write that verse on their hand or on a piece of paper. Next Sunday, we'll have a bunch of kids walking around with a verse on their hand, and I am challenging our congregation to ask them about it. Ask them what's that verse that they have on their hand. Ask them what it means to them. Ask them why it stood out to them. Ask them any details about it and try and get them to recite the verse back to you. It's gonna be an amazing opportunity for um, you know, the generations to be able to steward and disciple this next generation coming up. Um, and our youth group is gonna be doing it too. So if you see any of our teenagers going around with a Bible verse written on their hands, same thing. I encourage you, please ask them about it. Ask them why that verse stood out to them. Ask them uh, what book they're reading next or what chapter they're moving on to next. And I think this will be a really amazing opportunity to get um, our kids and our teens in their words more. And as pa Pastor Micah said, to be able to hide the word in their hearts. As we know, we live in a society that is very confused and the more truth that we can fill them with, the better they'll be able to navigate that. So I'm gonna pass it back over to Pastor Micah. Um, again, I encourage you, please talk to our kiddos when you see those verses, ask them about it, um, and get them talking about the Bible. Cool, thank you, Pastor Marilyn. Yeah, give it up for Pastor Marilyn. So one of, the, one of the things you have to remember too, so congregation, like church, like as a, as a whole congregation, we need to do this because the, the, the world is trying to warp God's word. Now, I don't know if you guys have seen the reports with AI coming out and being as like, prevalent as it's going to be, there have been reports that AI is going to start rewriting scripture and already has starting rewrite, re, rewriting some portions of scripture. So when you go to Google or to type in, what does God say about marriage? You have to know what God says about marriage, not because Google says it through AI, but because the word says it, right? Because you have opened up the scriptures and, and found that yourself, or you hid it on your heart. When, when you want to, what, what does the God say about the exclusivity of the Christian walk? Because again, it's very exclusive. I know we're living in a, in a world that says in inclusive, intolerance. You know, tolerance is not a godly virtue. It's not. He says, hate what is evil and love what is good. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. Now it's open for everyone, but there's one way, right? Well, what's the world gonna start saying? Well, there's probably many ways. Did God really say like, did God really say that this was, there was only really one way? Certainly if you're good enough, I'm sure God will be fine with that. AI could start rewriting that. Even in communist China, there was a report just a few weeks ago, communist China is taking the scriptures and actually rewriting them in China and actually distributing the scriptures as they see fit. There's a passage of scripture where Jesus um, comes to the woman who was caught, caught in the act of adultery. She's being surrounded by the men of the village and they're going to stone her to death because of her sin. And Jesus walks up, she's looking down, she's on her, on her face on the ground about ready to die. Jesus comes up to this woman, kneels down, puts his hands on her shoulder, looks at the men, stands up and says, he who has no sin, let him be the one to cast the first stone. And everyone begins to drop their stones and walks away. The woman's crying and sobbing and Jesus kneels back down. He says, woman, where are all of those who have condemned you? And she looks up and everyone's gone. And she's like, I don't know what happened. And he's like, nor do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. A powerful passage of God's mercy. Loving those who, yes, have made mistakes, but giving them another chance. You know what the Communist Party is gonna do with that passage though? They've already done it. They are actually rewriting that to be Jesus is the one who throws the first stone at this woman. Now, why would they wanna do that? Because they understand if they teach their people, even their Christians, that there is wrath from a tyrannical leader, 
then it obviously is okay when the government does that kind of action, right? There's no mercy there. And say, well, God's not very merciful, so I guess the government is okay. It's okay when they're not very merciful. So if you don't know the word of God and you don't hide it on your heart, you're gonna be deceived. And so it's important for all of us to do this. So I would encourage, write the reference on the back of your hand, right? Just a, a reference. And when you start seeing people with references on the back of their hand, say, hey, what's that reference? Tell me the scripture right now, right? And that's a great way for you to begin to, to call up the word of the Lord. Just one verse, maybe one verse a week. You know, it's not, not too hard and can't, can't be Jesus wept, all right? I mean, seriously, I'm gonna, if I see that passage, I'm gonna slap your hand. I'm gonna be like, no, no. <laughs> you can do better, you can do better, all right. Hey, we're gonna dive into 2 Samuel 13. Let me, let me go to the Lord in prayer and then, we will, uh, and then we'll open up the scriptures. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing here. And God, we just pray that you would hide your word on our hearts. Lord, you are the author of truth. You are the giver of all truth. Let us know that truth. And Lord, we know that when we do, the truth will set us free. Open our hearts today to receive from you in this passage of scripture. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so we're looking at the legacies that people leave. Are they oaks planted by the rivers of water or are they like the chaff that the wind blows away? So we're just gonna do a little quiz here. I'm gonna say, tell me if it's an oak or a weed. Again, not this weed, that weed, all right? There we go, all right. So here we go, Jesus. Oak, okay, That's, yeah, good job, guys. Well done, because they're smart. Because they're a smart bunch of people, all right. Okay, Moses. Oak, good, good job, all right. Uh, Judas. Ooh, weed, yeah. Like, and you know, too, because nobody really names anybody Judas. Like, like your dog isn't even really named Judas, right? Like, I, I don't know. Like, I say Judas a lot. It's like, Judas priest. Like, people are like, Judas wasn't a priest? What are you talking about? It's just kind of like a, you know, I say that a lot and, and just like stub my toe, Judas priest, right? You wouldn't do that if the guy was an oak. You, do, you know, you do that with the weeds. Like, it's like, ah, oh, Mike, Melito. So, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's the first, literally the first name that came to my head, Mike. He's not watching right now. He's preaching down at Eagle Creek. So he's fine. He won't, he doesn't watch my messages. So <laughs> probably shouldn't have done that on the online service. First and third service. Okay, all right. Uh, Mary. Oh, great. Left an amazing legacy. Uh, Benedict Arnold. Weed, right? Yes, Benedict Arnold. He was a traitor. Not, not somebody that left a good legacy. Uh, Taylor Swift. <laughs> Not looking good, all right? Uh, <laughs> now, we should pray for her, okay? God can still get a hold of her heart, but not looking good. All right, so there we go. Um, <laughs> I was like, who in the culture, right? Who in the culture can we do? Now, again, pray for her. God can do, she's not, it's not done yet. So, uh, all right. Uh, King David. I would say both, okay? Did anyone, did anyone think both, okay? All right, both. Oak and weed. Again, this is what's happening. Like, and, and please hear me, like David, he's left an amazing legacy. We have the house of David, the star of David, the city of David. We have Israel like, is like peppered. You can go to see the legacy of David. If you go to Israel right now, David's everywhere. But he also was a horrible father. And this should give us great I think peace, that God can use a guy like David to do amazing things, to leave a powerful legacy, even despite his shortcomings. So if you ever felt like you can't be used by the Lord, I'm gonna tell you right now, if God can use David, he can certainly use you. Have you ever like took somebody's spouse and then murdered them? <laughs> real, real, hand, there's a hand back there. Really? <laughs> Security. <laughs> Dave, uh, Officer uh, Barnes, uh, you can get that guy. Uh, no. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, 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 nobody, yeah, we, like, that's how bad David is. He, he did that, and yet God still used him and loves him and has made a way. You know, Matthew 5, 16 says this, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. We should be testimonies of the greatness of our God. How, how should the, the children of the greatest king carry themselves. They should too be great, right? The legacy that we are now walking in is the legacy of the most awesome father in the universe. Have you ever felt like you, have you ever felt like there's, man, you're, you're destined for great things? Has that ever been in your heart? Has, have you ever felt like, gosh, I, whenever I see like a, a kingdom on earth, whenever I see the royal wedding in Britain, or it just something resonates with your heart, it's probably because God has written that on your heart to be that. 
He has said, I've made you royalty. You are now a royal class. But we don't often walk in that identity. We take on the identity of a loser or a victim or, or someone who's done mistakes and, and will never be good enough. Like, that's not God's identity on his children. God's identity is one of perfection. Even though you're not perfect, you make mistakes, he sees you sinless. He sees you completely righteous in his eyes. So take on that identity. Chapter 13 is really gonna be the beginning of the judgment on David's life. Remember, if we go all the way back to uh, the second Samuel, just to, or if we go back to a few chapters ago, we'll see the judgment that Nathan declares upon the life of David. It says his house is gonna have chaos and the sword will never depart from it because of what you've done. Now, I wanna just set the stage here. Today, this is gonna be a little bit of a graphic, uh, a, a graphic uh, uh, context or content within the scriptures here. And that's okay, the Bible's real. You're gonna, we talk about real things. We don't, we don't shy away from that. Now, some people, I, you know, if you've been following what I've been doing on the Hamilton County Library Board, we're trying to get pornography out of the kids and teens section, right? And that's created a battle. Uh, and people will often come to me who want to keep pornography in the kids and teens section. They'll often say, well, the Bible's super graphic too. So we should get rid of the Bible from the kids and teens section. You know what I say? It's like, yeah, passages like this probably shouldn't be in graphic detail in a six-year-old's hands. There's a way to tell the Bible stories to a six-year-old. There's a way to tell about the world to a six-year-old. And then there's a way to really open it up and see what really happened. And, and what we're gonna see today is we're gonna see this is a pretty graphic piece of scripture, but it's all right because it, it, like Paul said, this is for our good. This is for our admonition. The scriptures were given so that we can have a light going forward and learn what to do and also what not to do. So, uh, let's go back real quick and set the stage. This is the prophecy that Nathan declared over the house of David when Nathan came to David and said, the Lord saw what you did. You killed that man, you took his wife, and you thought you got away with it, but here's what the Lord says. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord, done this horrible deed, for you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword and the Ammonites and stolen his wife? From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. This is what the Lord says, because of what you have done, I will cause your household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes and he will go to bed with them in public view. Whoa, you did it secretly. You did this sin secretly, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all of Israel. Sheesh. You may be saying, man, God, whoa, hey, Slow down there, like that seems pretty harsh. Not if you're Uriah, right? The guy who was murdered and David took his wife. Okay, remember, God is just. Sometimes we put ourselves in the victim's shoes, or I'm sorry, the, the, the oppressor's shoes. We say, oh my gosh, that's terrible that this is gonna happen to David. No, this is, this is justice playing out. You know, Thomas Jefferson, with the beginning of our nation said, I tremble when I remember that God is just and his justice cannot sleep forever. And he was specifically referring to the sin of slavery. And he was saying, if we don't figure this out, this is gonna come back to bite us. Now, even Thomas Jefferson owned slaves, but he understood it was wicked. He just was like, we gotta figure this out. We shouldn't be doing this. We shouldn't, but it's how the economies were made. It's how, for thousands and thousands of eons, this is exactly what societies did. But he said, this is wrong and wicked and God his justice is gonna hit us like a ton of bricks if we don't repent, and that means turn from your wicked ways and go the opposite direction. Well, guess what happened? We really didn't figure it out. And 70 plus years later, what, 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 what did we experience? A civil war, 700,000 men lost their lives over this sin, right? God is just. Do what's right in God's eyes. He will bless you and protect you. Walk away. Sin will always lead to destruction every time. So we see that David has 20 children. And David's firstborn was a, young, was a man named Amnon. And David had eight wives, just FYI. Again, David, not, not a good track record here, David, of being wise within your household. He had eight wives. God, even in the Old Testament, God said it's only one wife for one husband and one husband for one wife. That was always God's plan. Even though David and Solomon and kings would take wives and you're gonna see David's household here in this, in this graph. We've got the house of Jesse, David, 
uh, he had, Jesse had other sons too, but for our purposes today, we're going to talk about David and, and Shemia. But David then had multiple children by multiple wives. So we have Amnon was the firstborn. So this is David's like, this is, in, the, in that day, this would be the guy taking over the kingdom. All right, so David's going to have a, a love for this, for this child right here. Then you had Absalom. And that was, uh, that was Absalom's mother was the daughter of the king of Geshur. Okay, so really that, so Makah was her name and she was probably given to David because of the peace treaty, right? So one king gives uh, a, a daughter to, the, to another king. And, and so this would have been the daughter of the king of Geshur given to David. They had a son, his name was Absalom. And then Absalom's full sister was Tamar. And Tamar would also have been uh, the, the daughter of Makah and David as well. And then you had Adonijah, and then you had Solomon. Now remember, Solomon is the, prof, is the prophetic gift. This is the promise that David's kingdom will go on through Solomon. The Lord told that through the prophet Nathan. But remember, David's kingdom didn't actually go on eternally through Solomon. It was actually through David's fifth son, Nathan. And Nathan... Uh, will be the lineage that we see in Scripture going all the way back to the beginning of time where, where Jesus was going to come from the lineage of the house of David. And so, so it's really interesting when you kind of start studying the, the lineage of, of the house of David and, and what happened with Jesus and, and where did, you know, how the Lord has set us free. So, so that's the house. So remember, though, today we're going to be talking about Amnon and Tamar specifically, and then Absalom's going to come in at the end. So Let's dive into verse 1, chapter 13. And it came to pass after this that Absalom, Absalom the son of David, had a fair sister. Now the, now, the book of Josephus, which is a historical book that we study often when we're, when we're reading Scripture, it, it basically is a historian in AD 70. This man named Josephus wrote the Antiquities of the Jews. It was basically the, the what, filling in the blanks. When sometimes Scripture doesn't give us a lot of detail, you can go to this historical document, and you can see what Josephus says about Tamar was that she was the most beautiful woman in all of Israel. She was, so, so think about it from that perspective. She was hot, okay? I'm just, <laughs> is that, is that, is my wife here? Okay, good. All right, all right. So, all right, so now she's like, why do you have to use the word hot? I, I, no joke, this is a little bit of a rabbit trail. First time I ever met Susan's mother and I was just, I was an idiot. I'm, I'm just gonna tell you that right now. Somehow it came up, like, the things that I like about her daughter, right? I said, well, one, your daughter's very hot. And, uh, <laughs> boy, I was, like, not, not doing well after that. that like, I, apparently, they got in the car, and, they were, and she was like, mm-mm, no, this guy is bad news. Nope, you do not marry this, or do not date this guy, right? I think, I think I've maybe made up for it. I don't know, some days, but maybe, you know, I, like, I think we're good now, but... So anyway, how did I even get there? Oh yeah, so Tamar, sometimes I'm like, what? what? I look back on my messages and I'm like, well, how did that come up? Like, I wasn't planning on saying anything like that. All right, okay, so Tamar had a, was, was one of the best looking women in all of Israel is what the book of Josephus said. Who's, uh, and Amnon, the son of David, loved her. Okay, well, that, you know, that seems like pretty benign, like he loved her, great, no. So just so you know, the Hebrew language and the English language are very similar in a lot of ways. Not the same as in the Greek, though. So the Hebrew language and the English language, we use love for a lot of things. The Hebrew uses that word too, and it's called ahava, okay? So this is the word love. Now, I can tell you like, okay, I love ice cream. Okay, great, awesome. I love my wife. Do I love ice cream the same way as my wife? No, that would be super weird and like very like not good, all right? So, okay. So, no, I do not. I love Rob Kendall, okay? You guys see these shirts right here? I love Rob Kendall, okay? I also have an I hate Rob Kendall shirt too, just in case, all right? But uh, I think he's coming third service. I don't think he's here now, but uh, I love Rob Kendall. The radio, you know, my, my buddy who's on the radio on WIBC, right? Uh, do I love Rob Kendall uh, the same way as I love ice cream? No. Do I love Rob Kendall the same way I love my wife? Oh, no. Heck no. <laughs> Heck no. Yes, you're welcome. <laughs> All right. Okay, so you see love, like we have a problem here. So when the Bible says that Amnon loved his sister, no, he didn't really love his sister, and we're going to see that in a second. Now, the Greek is a lot better. When we go to the New Testament, the Greek actually has like eight 
like words, like, like they have more than that, but they have eight prominent words and three that really we see a lot uh, in scripture of the words love. And, they, and they, they really tell the whole story a lot better. The story. So there's, a, there's agape love. Agape would be God's unconditional love. Like I love, it's like a parent's love for a child. Like you love them no matter what. You know, you just, you just love it. everything about who they are. Just, you just love them, right? And, and you'll do anything for them. You'll protect them. You'll sacrifice for them. You'll lay your own life down for them if you have to, right? Then you have the eros love, which is where we get the word erotic from. And eros is that sexual love. So there's that aspect of love. And then you have philea. Philea is, it means brotherly love. This is where we get the word Philadelphia from. What, isn't it interesting? It's called the city of brotherly love, right from the Greek, right? Now, if you go there, you'll get shot. So the brotherly love is not really happening there today. But, but that's what they were founded on, okay? So philea is brotherly love. So the Greek does a lot better than the, than the Hebrew or the English does. So I'm just telling you right now, this is in Hebrew. And so when Amnon said he loved his sister, when it says Amnon loved his sister, no, Amnon did not love Tamar. Amnon lusted after Tamar. Big difference, big difference. Verse two, Amnon became so obsessed with Tamar that he became ill. She was a virgin and Amnon thought he could never have her. But Amnon had a very crafty friend, his cousin, Jonadab. He was the son of David's brother, Shemiah. Okay, so remember, Shemiah over here had a son, Jonadab. They were all living in the palace. You know, they were the cousins and so the family would live there. And so Jonadab's hanging out with Amnon and Amnon and Jonadab have uh, not, a, it's not a good friendship. It, it's a friendship, but not the right kind of friend. You, it's really important who you hang out with. Remember, like, if this guy wouldn't have been there, or if this guy, Jonadab, wouldn't have given advice, we may not even know this story. This story may never have happened. One a poor counsel. Like, counsel is so important. We've got lawyers in the room, right? There's Ray, right there, Ray. We got a lawyer, okay? The only saved lawyer in Hamilton County, but uh, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You've told me jokes about lawyers, so I feel like I can rip on lawyers a little bit. But count, in, your, in your perspective, how important is counsel? It, it makes or breaks. It could ruin somebody's life or it could make somebody's life, right? Like the counsel that you give, godly counsel is so important, but ungodly counsel is very destructive. And I think any lawyer in the room would absolutely say, yes, that's true. Here we have ungodly counsel being given by Shemiah's son, Jonadab, to Amnon. And this is what he says. One day, Jonadab said to Amnon, what's the trouble? Why should the son of a king look so dejected morning after morning? So Amnon told him, I am in love with Tamar, my, brother's, my brother Absalom's sister. Again, he's not in love, he's in lust, but that's what he said. Well, Jonadab said, I tell you what, I'll tell you what to do. Go back to bed and pretend, lie, and say that like you are ill. When your father comes to see you, ask him to let Tamar come and prepare some food for you. Tell him you'll feel better if she prepares it as you watch and feed you with her own hands. Super weird. I mean, I'm just looking at this. They're like, what? What is, like, these people are weirdos, man. All right. Anyway, like, that's beside the point. Squirrel. All right. So Amnon lay down and pretend to be sick. And when the king came to see him, Amnon asked him, please let my sister Tamar come and cook my favorite dish as I watch, then I can eat it from her own hands. Weird, okay, I know, right? <laughs> All right, so David agreed and sent Tamar to Amnon's house to prepare some food for him. Okay, I think if you kind of know where the story's going, you see, this un, you see this really bad counsel, this wicked counsel given to Amnon from his, son, or from his cousin Jonadab. So what would you say, is Jonadab an oak or a weed? Weed, yes. Yes, he's a uh, big time loser, okay? So, la za her, as Jim Carrey would like to say. All right, so yeah, not, not somebody you want to be influencing your life. You know, there's a book out there, it's called Tribe of Millionaires, and it's a, it's a book about how to just grow, you know, your success and your wealth. Now, it's not really a Christian book, but it's more of like a business leadership book. It says this, there's, a, there've been, there's studies that have been done. You take your 10 closest friends, and you will run in the middle, in the average of those 10 friends when it comes to wealth and to health and to success in life. You'll be right in the average. So if you wanna have more success and wealth and, and you wanna do more things of great uh, you know, prominence with, with your life, find a tribe that's doing that kind of thing, right? That's why church is so important. God, you know, it's not, 
God's not gonna stand, you're not gonna stand before the Lord someday and he's gonna be judging your life and say, well, how many times did you go to church? No, okay, you went, you, oh man, you missed that one important Easter. Mm, uh, I don't know, Peter, should we let him in? No, okay, sorry, man, can't, you can't come in, right? No, God's not gonna do that. God's gonna say, hey, how, what's the legacy that you left? How's the influence? How did you use the influence? Well, if you're surrounded by people who are using their influence really well, you're probably gonna be using your influence pretty well too. So, so just know that we have Amnon's running with people of bad counsel, bad influence, and it's gonna go very poorly. In this day, virgin, vir, uh, virginity was so important. It should still be so important today. It, unfortunately, we've lost that. And, and this, I don't want this to sound, please like, sound critical. If, if you didn't, if you didn't maintain virginity until marriage, listen, God, God's a God of, he's a redeeming God. He rescues you, he heals you. If you've been abused, if you walk through things that, that is similar to this story, just know that all throughout this story, there is a merciful God that says, hey, I can fix this. One of the best, the best phrases in all of scripture is, but God. This happened and this happened and then this goes poorly, but God. But God steps in, right? But in this culture, virginity was really important, and, and it was so important that the virgin, especially in the royal household, would stay in another part of the, of the kingdom, and they would, be, they would be protected in seclusion until marriage, whether it's giving the daughter to another foreign king, like happened in the case of the king of Gesher giving his daughter to, to David, Makkah, and, uh, or whether it's just, even if you weren't of, of royal, uh, in a royal household, it was still very important to know that virginity had been kept for the sacred bedroom, the, the consummation of a marriage between one man and one woman. And so that's what's going on here with Tamar. That's why she's in a different part of the, of the, of the household, in a different house. And so he has to get permission, Tam, uh, Amnon has to get permission from David to have Tamar come because she's being protected. And again, David, what's David? Like, where, David, what are you doing, man? Like, you should actually probably be a little more engaged and see these things coming. But he, we're going to see here that David is not an, an active parent right now. He's passive in his parenting. When Tamar arrived at Amnon's house, she went to the place where he was lying down so he could, so he could watch her mix some dough. Then she baked his favorite dish for him. But when she set the serving tray before him, he refused to eat. Everyone get out of here, Amnon told his servants. So they all left. Then he said to Tamar, now bring the food into my bedroom and feed it to me here. So Tamar took his favorite dish to him. But as she was feeding him, he grabbed her and demanded, come to bed with me, my darling sister. No, my brother, she cried. Don't be foolish. Don't do this to me. Such wicked things aren't done in all of Israel. The loss of virginity is what she's saying is, it'll be a stain on my reputation. This, nobody in Israel does this. And if we do this right now, we will, our, our whole reputation is going to go out the window. Please don't. No, no, no. She says, where could I go in my shame? And you would be called one of the greatest fools in all of Israel. So she's petitioning now his sense of reputation. Hey, just so you know, this is not gonna go well for you either. Please don't do that. Please just speak to the king about it and he will let you marry me. What? What? Excuse me? <laughs> oh man, again, so you're like, what is happening right now, okay? So, so would David ever in a million years... Go, would a father ever in a million years go along with this? Like, I hope we all would say no, like not a good father, right? But here she is saying, David will just let you marry me, but just ask his permission. Well, if you go back to the book of Josephus, what Josephus says is that's not what her intention was. Her intention was just to get out of there. And she was trying to reason with his lust. Hey, maybe I could just convince him that if he goes to my father, my father will let him, and obviously I can get away and then I'm good, I'm safe, I'll be protected and at that point. She's literally just trying to do anything she can to get out of there. But the problem is you can't reason with lust. Lust and reason are enemies. Lust and reason don't go together. Oil and water. Lust and reason, if you've ever seen somebody that's, in, that's just so engulfed with lust, they do some of the most foolish things. And you're like, man, how did that, how did you, I mean, this could happen to any one of us. So please hear me. Like, I'm not saying that I'm immune, you're immune, but I'm just saying we've seen the stories where it's like you have everything you want. I mean, take, like, take someone like Tiger Woods, right? Tiger Woods had everything. He had, he had the world on a string. He literally had, he had a, a beautiful wife. He had beautiful children. He was at the top of his game when it came to golf. And what, what, what did we find? Come to find out he's having an affair. Like, dude, what? For reals? What are you doing? 
Again, I think now, like in life, has really kind of beaten him down a little bit. I think now he'd probably say, man, I was really foolish. Well, what happened? Reason wasn't being allowed to do its thing because lust was that powerful. Lust and reason are enemies. And the scripture talks about this all the time. There is no negotiating with the flesh. This is why you have to put your flesh down. You have to kill it. Galatians says this. Paul's writing to the, to the church in Galatia. He says, listen, your passions and desires have become very, very much a, down, a downfall to you. You have to put them down. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. He tells the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 4.22, he says this, throw off all your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. If you don't end your, your flesh, your flesh will end you. This is literally a spiritual kill or be killed. I'm, I, I promise you right now, kill or be killed, you decide. And, and it's not messing around here. God is very clear that sin will lead to death and destruction. You either put it down or you can't just say, well, I think I got it under control. I'm gonna put it over here in this closet and I'm just not gonna like, I'm, just, I'm gonna let it live, but I'm just not gonna go back to it. No, it will continue to grow and it will end up destroying you and your family, and, and it will leave ripple effects. But Amnon wouldn't listen to her, and since he was stronger than she was, he raped her. Okay, just so you know, Scripture is very clear. Difference between man and woman right there, okay? So if you think men can compete in women's sports, you're wrong, okay? Like, this is not, you, you, we don't allow this. Men are stronger. I, and I, this is, please, women, hear me. This is not to downgrade you at all. You're powerful beings made in the image of God, but there is a physical difference in, to men and women. And the Bible's highlighting this right there. It says he was stronger because he's the guy. Our culture is trying to say, no, everyone's the exact same. Like, listen, I'm not even the same with me as I was yesterday, right? Like, I'm not the same with me. How, to think that we can all somehow just be the same, no, it's foolish. It's nonsense, and we should reject it as such. But here we are, right? We see it in Scripture. He was stronger than she was, and now granted, those who are stronger physically or those who have the power, God is gonna hold you to a higher standard. If you're using your power and your strength to abuse people who are less powerful than you, that ain't gonna go well for you on the day of judgment. Just, just know, like, your time is coming, and we're gonna see that with Amnon. This is not gonna go well for him at all, but, but he ends up getting his way. Then suddenly Amnon's love, his lust, turned to hate, and he hated her even more than he had loved her or lusted after her. And he said, get out of here, he snarled at her. Whoa, what's happening? This is a perfect example of what is happening today. Everyone is controlled by their emotions. Amnon is absolutely in, in bondage to his emotions. What does the Bible say about the seat of the emotions, the heart? It says the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And yet, do you know what we hear today in culture all the time? Follow your heart. Follow your heart. Just do what your heart says. Oh, you can't go wrong if you follow your heart. No, you can. And you will. Do not follow your heart. Pray that the Lord would put down the desires of your heart and that your desires would then look like his desires and that his heart would become your heart and his eyes would become your eyes and you would walk the way he walks. I'm telling you right now, it's countercultural. The reason the world is saying follow your heart because God is saying the opposite. He's saying follow me. You don't follow your heart. And why he can go from lust to hatred so quickly is because this, like lust and reason are enemies, lust and hatred are relatives. Lust and hatred, they go hand in hand because it's all about me. And if someone doesn't give me what I want, then I'm going to hate that person because I didn't get what I want. You could say it this way, lust says, I love me and I want you. But love says, I'm concerned for you over my own well-being. That's love, that's the agape love. We've all seen, been to weddings maybe where 1 Corinthians 13 has been, has been preached, but in this context, let's go to 1 Corinthians 13. It says this in verse four, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful, or proud, or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wrong. Women, it keeps no record of being wronged. <laughs> yeah, my wife's not in here right now. I'm not going to say this next to her, so she's here, so. Hey, you know what? I don't care, because she's not here, so. Uh... 
Uh, that's hilarious. What if, what if she's back there and I just haven't seen her yet? And she's like, I was literally sitting in the back. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, listen, just so you know, like when we get into arguments, like I would bring up like past records of wrong. My sinful desires would probably sometimes get the best of me. I just can't remember anything past yesterday. Really. <laughs> that's really, it's not because like, I don't, I, I don't want to do it. I do sometimes. I want to be like, well, you did this five years ago and you did this. I just can't remember last week. Whereas she's like, you remember in 2007 when you said this thing? <laughs> like, no, I don't remember what I did yesterday. So, uh, okay, so anyway, just so you know, I, I, I'm not better than, than the women in the room. I just can't remember. So that's why I keep no record of wrong. All right, moving on. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Now, here at Life Church, this is so, I think this is so us, right? We, we stand for truth, and we love it when truth wins out. We love to see truth flourish. What does God say about things? And do you know why we love it so much? Because we know when people know the truth, the truth will set them free, and we love to see people set free. We love to see people set free from the spiritual bondage and oppression, and we love to see people set free from the physical bondage and oppression. You know, this shirt, the I Love Rob Kendall shirt, you know, one of the things they're doing on WIBC, all the money raised with these shirts is going to Project Rescue. So it, yeah, it's amazing. Project Rescue is, is an organization that sets women caught in sex slavery, women and children caught in sex slavery, it sets them free. They go after and rescue these women all over the world. What a beautiful thing. Why do we love it so much? Because we know God's truth for people is that they should be free and he wants them to be free. He wants them to be sons and daughters to the King Most High. And so here at Life Church, we rejoice when truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Yesterday, I had the, the pleasure of, of joining my, uh, my dear friend, uh, Marlon Stutzman. He's, he gave his campaign kickoff uh, celebration. He's running for Congress in the third district up in the northeast part of uh, Indiana. It's Jim Banks' seat, and Jim's running for Senate. And so Marlon, Marlon used to be in that seat. And then he ran for Senate in 2016, and unfortunately, he lost. He lost to Todd Young in the primary. And Marlon's an awesome guy, just an amazing uh, follower of Jesus. Him and his wife, Christy, are, are just strong advocates of standing firmly for truth and truth to what God says. And he got up and he said something interesting, and it, and I, I it kind of hit me in kind of connection with what we're talking about today. He, he said, he said, people have asked me, why would I want to go back to Washington? You know, Marlon was there in 2010. He helped start the Freedom Caucus with Jim Jordan and Mick Mulvaney and those guys. And he said, he said people have said, why do you want to go back to Washington? It's even worse than when you left. He said, you know what, I, I, I can't give an answer other than I know I can't give up. There's something in me that's saying, I gotta, I gotta keep fighting. And as he was saying that, I was like, man, it's because he loves. He loves his family, he loves his community, he loves his nation, and now that is pushing, pushing him to not give up. Love never gives up, it never loses faith, and it always is hopeful and endures through every circumstance. I'll go and speak places and you know, a lot of times I speak about what's happening in our nation, in our world, and people are very discouraged. And I'll go and speak and they'll say, how do you maintain just the spirit of hopefulness that you have? And I said, because I know who wins. That's how love can be hopeful, is because we know who wins the war. We're in some battles here, and the battles may go one way or another way, but we know who wins the war. And I promise you 10,000 years from now, none of this is gonna look like it was that, like, that huge of a mountain, right? We're gonna look back and be like, man, what were we so afraid of? Look at our God. Look who we are in Him now. Boy, I wish I would have known that when I was walking on earth. That's, that's the hope that we have as sons and daughters to the King. Again, you're taking kingdom principles. God is not saying, get saved and then wait for death. He's saying, get saved, allow my spirit to rest on you, and now go out there and kick some butt, right? Some spiritual butt, man. Those demons are gonna run a thousand miles the other direction when they see real sons and daughters of the king come walking in, right? That's the love that we have. Now, the world standard when it comes to love is really this, and this is like, you see this all the time in our culture, in our sex culture. Women often will give lust in exchange to receive love. Women, your hearts are wired for love. And men, your hearts are wired more for the physical. That's just how God has made us, right? And we will often give love to get lust. Now, I, I think it's all lust. This is the world standard. I don't think this is real. Like, I'm not saying love in the sense of like true agape love. I'm saying 
like it's lust. Like they'll say, you know, Vogue, the Teen Vogue will say, hey, women, if you just want to be loved, just, you know, do whatever the guy's asking you to do in the bedroom. That's not love, that's lust. But that's often, that's often what happens when we had the Dysphoria uh, movie premiere uh, on Friday night. How many of you were here for that Dysphoria movie premiere? Wasn't that amazing? Well, yeah, it's incredible. So if you haven't seen it yet, Dysphoria is all about the transgender movement that's, that's taking hold and, and destroying uh, sp- the children and families. And it's a spirit of confusion. It's a demonic spirit of confusion is what the transgender movement is. It really is. It's just that. And so we as the church have to bring the truth in. And, and the Bible says God is not the God of confusion. And when someone's saying, oh, I think I'm a boy or I think I'm a girl or they're going back and forth or they're saying, I think I should cut off my breasts or cut off my genitalia or whatever it is, that is a confused person. That is coming right from the pits of hell. There is nothing good about that. And we need to stand up and, and say, no, this is the truth. So we were at the dysphoria premiere and this lady whose home has been wrecked because their daughters were convinced by, by her school teachers and their counselors in the public school that she was, she was not a girl, she was a boy. And she, she made this interesting statement. She said, what I'm finding out is young girls are being exposed to pornography at a very young age. And they're seeing things that are so deviant, that are so nasty and so abusive to women. And they're looking at that on the screen and they're saying, that's what men want me to do? I don't want to be a woman if that's what men are going to expect from me, right? This is, this is the culture that, we're, that we're, we're creating in America. And we're saying like all kinds of wickedness. You know, Romans 1 is very clear. They made up new ways of doing evil is what Romans 1 says. You know, the, the demonic doesn't even have to work that hard in America to make up new ways of evil. There's just like, if you saw nefarious Steve Deese's movie where he's talking to that demonically possessed man. It's kind of like a modern day screw tapes letters like the C.S. Lewis book. But he says in that, and there's an interaction where he says, he says, man, how's it gotten so evil? This atheist is talking to this demonically possessed prisoner. He says, how's it gotten so wicked and so evil? And the, the demon speaking through the man says, it's not us. You guys are doing a good job of creating evil. We're just sitting back and letting you go. We're just kind of like, getting you started and you're making up things that we, we never even thought of. That's Romans 1 playing out in real time and that's what's happening in our culture. The world standards is so backwards from what God's reality and his standards are. I'm telling you right now, if you go down this standard, it's just gonna lead to destruction. So now we see Tamar, she's saying, no, no, I can't, don't, please don't send me away. You've done this wicked thing to me, but, but sending me away is now worse than what you've already done to me. But Amnon would not listen to her. I tell you what, I just want to take that weed and just like break him in two, right? Don't you like, isn't that what it's like, spray some Roundup on that guy, you know what I mean? <laughs> Honestly, yeah, for real. Listen, I know Roundup causes cancer. I, I get that. In this case, I wouldn't care, all right? And I use Roundup in my yard and my Susan will yell out the door. She'll be like, Roundup causes cancer. And I'm like, yeah, but my yard looks great. So, uh, <laughs> Die young, leave a pretty corpse. All right, here we go. Um, so, so Amnon, yeah, what a, what a weed this guy is. Tamar feared the public shame. This is what's going on. In this moment, she's saying, listen, if you send me away, I'm gonna be labeled. I'm gonna be labeled. How, how often, like, this, is, this is real life for us right now. Isn't that the devil's tactic? He's like, oh, they're gonna label. If you, if you go down this path, like, maybe you've been abused and you feel like you're gonna get labeled. Or maybe, maybe the world wants to say, hey, you're a racist or you're a bigot. If you're a Christian and you're standing on that Bible as your, as your guiding light, you're, you're just a, a, a homophobe. You're all of those things, right? Well, what's that? That's, this goes all the way back to David's time. The devil uses the fear of being labeled to get people into a place of desperation and despair and destruction. Don't buy into it. Now, Tamar did nothing wrong in this story. She's the victim but I can only imagine if Jesus could stand, if could come down and, and he would have knelt next to Tamar and said, Tamar, what happened to you is so wrong, but you are still beautiful in my eyes. If she could have had that in her head, maybe, like maybe this fear wouldn't have, and I'm not saying that she's wrong to, to think this because this is, this is the natural way to think after something traumatic like this happens. But just know this is the devil's tactic. He's just going to snowball this wickedness into more wickedness to destroy not only Amnon, but also now to destroy Tamar and to cause her to fear what people will think. And he shouted for his servants and demanded, throw this woman out and lock her or lock the door behind her. 
And the servants put her out and locked the door behind her. She was wearing a long, beautiful robe, as was the custom in those days for the king's virgin daughters. But now Tamar tore her robe and put ashes on her head, and then with her face in her hands, she went away crying. Oak or tumbleweed? Weed. Amnon was a weed. You're going to see his legacy is, is like, a, like the chaff that the wind blows away. I mean, as the story unfolds, it's not going to go well with him. Verse 20, Tamar's brother Absalom saw her and asked, is, that tr- is it true that Amnon has been with you? Now again, this is probably pretty common knowledge in the kingdom that, that T- Amnon has this, like, this lust issue for, for Tamar. So I don't think, it, you know, you know how siblings talk, right? Sometimes siblings know more than even the parents know what's going on. But Absalom sees her, her, her royal robe is ripped. She's got, she's got ashes on her head. I think he's putting two and two together. He's coming to her and saying, whoa, hey, did, did it really happen what I think might've happened? And he says, well, my sister, just keep quiet for now since, he, since he's your brother, don't, don't you worry about it. So Tamar lived as a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard of what happened, he was very angry. Period. That's it. That's all David does. Now, if you're like me and you read this, you're like, seriously? Like, oh, I can't believe he did that. Ah, oh, Okay, well, what are you going to do about it, king? Like, you know, like, you're like go. Like, again, like this, sometimes the church in America kind of has that same response, right? This is terrible. What are you going to do about it? Well, I don't know. You know, like, such a passive response. I'm so outraged. Oh, yeah, but I'm not, I'm not going to do anything because, yeah, it might, it might hurt me too. And David's being a passive father, but I also think David probably is in a place where he doesn't believe he can actually come from a place of a moral high ground because he actually did something even worse, right? He took another man's wife, bedded her, got her pregnant, and then murdered the man. So here he is as a parent that I'm sure he knows, like, man, Amnon, what have you done? But now he's in a place where he's like, can I really go after him though? Because everybody knows what I've done. Remember the prophecy that Nathan spoke, the judgment over David was that all of Israel will see what's going to happen. Like all of Israel is finding out that David has done this wicked thing. So now here's the king saying, what can I do? I mean, I'll be kind of a hypocrite, won't I? You know, there's another man at the very beginning of this whole Samuel saga going all the way back to 1 Samuel. We see the priest of the temple at the time, his name was Eli. Eli was a very godly man, but he was a terrible father, just like David. He had two wicked sons and he did not deal with his wicked sons. He was passive. He loved the Lord, but he was passive. But here's what I wanna tell every parent in this room and every person in this room. It's not hypocritical to speak the truth. Truth is still truth. You're not speaking it from your experience. You're speaking it from the word of God. So when you go to it, your, your children may say, well, I know what you did, mom. I know what you did, dad. It's like, that's fine. I am not the example here. The word of God, Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, he is the example and I know truth and you are not aligning with that. And I'm telling you as a warning, don't do what I have done. You don't want the consequences of what I've done. Speak the truth, parents. You have every right and not only that, you have a responsibility to speak the truth to your children regardless of your past. You have, this, you have the responsibility to speak truth out to, out to the, the, the world regardless of your past. Your past does not disqualify you from knowing truth. And you know what? Your past does not disqualify you from being used by God. God is saying, know the truth, speak the truth, and set people free with the truth. And here's David, knowing the truth, and yet doesn't do anything about it. And though Absalom never spoke to Amnon about this, he hated Amnon deeply because of what he had done to his sister. And thus begins the seeds of war being planted in the house of David. This is the, this is where it starts to get real bad for David. Just like Nathan prophesied, just like everything that, that Nathan has said is now starting, the war of the house is going to start splitting. It is going to lead to David being exiled. It's going to lead to Absalom sleeping with David's women and his wives in broad daylight on a roof, right where the sin that David, remember David saw Bathsheba bathing on a roof and he gazed at her. That was his first sin. And then he took her and then he killed Uriah. And guess where this is all going? Now Absalom is going to go after Amnon. He's gonna be ticked at David because David was passive and he's gonna steal the kingdom 
from David and he's gonna take David's wives and he's gonna sleep with them on a roof. Sin has a way of going full circle. Sin has a way of destroying everything in his path. And the Lord loves you. He loves you enough to tell you that don't do this. God is not a God of rules for the sake of rules. He's the God that says, hey, the world works this way. And if you step out of alignment with how the world works, it's gonna hurt you. And I don't want you to get hurt. And you may be saying, well, Pastor Micah, I've done a lot of these same things, or I've been a victim of this same type of thing. And you know what I'm here to say? I said, God sees you, he knows that, and yet he's still saying, I can redeem that. But God, but God. But you have to do, listen, David, David, his house is gonna go through chaos, but, but God restored the promise, protected the promise. And even though David deserved death, and that was the mandate David gave, he deserved to die. God stepped in and said, you know what? Yeah, you're, you're not wrong, but I'm gonna redeem this situation. You may be in a place where you feel like you're irredeemable, unredeemable, you cannot be redeemed. I'm gonna tell you right now, it's a lie from the pits of hell. We have a thing at Life Church. it's called the Freedom, Freedom Group. Now, have you guys ever heard of Freedom Groups? You guys gone through, who's gone through Freedom Groups? Okay, there's been a lot of people gone through Freedom Groups. If you haven't gone through a Freedom Group yet, I would highly, highly encourage you to do it. It's a 13 week small group but it's designed to dive into the hurts and the, the brokenness that your past has and to set you free with the gospel and to, with the word, with the truth of who God is and the Holy Spirit. And we've seen so many people come up, like people that didn't even really know that they had baggage that they were dealing with, come through Freedom Group. We have a big conference at the end and people come off, they feel like a thousand pounds lighter because the Lord does what the Lord does and he pulls the weight of your sin and your past. And he says, hey, I love you. I'm taking that. I'll put it on my shoulders. I went to the cross for your sin. It's mine now. I bought it. I'm the rightful owner of your sin, so give it to me. And when that happens, we get to run with wings like eagles. We get to be sons and daughters. Your past is not disqualifying you. I'm telling you that right now. This is a really graphic content and context within scripture, but, but I want you to know that God's goodness is gonna be seen throughout this entire story. And in your life too, God's goodness can be seen if you let him work. The Bible says all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. Not all things work together for good, no. You've gotta be called according to his purpose walking with him and he'll redeem what's happened in your life. We're gonna invite our prayer team down. And as we go into this last song, if you feel like you're just wrestling with baggage and bondage and addiction and depression and despair over things that you've dealt with or had to, or walked through in your life, just come down with the prayer team intercede for you. You don't even have to tell them what, what's happened. Just say, hey, I just need God's healing power right now. I need God's restoration power. I need his redemptive power. I need to be set free so that I can run with wings like eagles. I can soar, I can fly, I can, I can be the son or the daughter he's calling me to be. Just let them pray over you. And let's worship with just a passion, church. Let's lift up our voice in one accord as we sing this song that says, God, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same God who is the God of David is the God who is the God of this house right here. Same God that Joshua said, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's the same God that we're crying out to you right now. That's the same God that will rescue you when you say, Lord, I, have, I need you now. I need you now more than ever. That is the same God and he sees you intimately. He knows you. Nothing has taken him off guard. Nothing has surprised him. Nothing has said, oh, you're too far gone. I can't use you. He is saying the exact opposite. He's saying, hey, here's my hand. Just reach onto it, grab onto it. I can, re I can use you. I can redeem you. That's the God of this house. That's the God of this church, and that's the God of this universe. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, I pray right now in the mighty name of Jesus that any person struggling right now with the hardships of life, any of the desperation, any of the despair, any of the, the choices that they've made in the past that haven't been 
good choices, that haven't led to godly outcomes. God, I pray right now you speak to that heart and you say, I see righteousness. I see the blood of Jesus. I've removed your transgressions from you as far as the east is from the west. So far, I've, I've removed those sins from you. You are now spotless. There is no blot. There is no mark. There is nothing wrong. You are not even a sinner in the eyes of God. You, do you understand that? You're not a sinner in the eyes of God when you receive the blood of Jesus. You make mistakes, sure, but he sees you as fully righteous. Is, it, is Jesus the sinner? Absolutely not. The blood of Jesus covering anyone means that you take on the same righteousness. That's the power of the gospel. That's the love of an amazing God. He doesn't just get you to heaven. He wipes away your past and gives you new identity in him. And we're Father, encouraged by today's talk. Be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.